0: Would you please stand with me, friends, and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. This morning we want to read verses 1 through 11, and I thought we would be able to get through verse 11, and we won't. We will only be looking at verses 5 through 7. Again, listen now to the Lord's word. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, But Christ is all and in all. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? Lord, again, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And I pray now your blessing be upon it and upon your servant as I deliver it. I pray that you would also bless these, your people. For those who may be listening from afar, certainly for these who sit in this building, we pray that you would make our hearts tender to you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, the only offense that would be given would be the offense of Christ and him crucified. I do pray that your kingdom will advance and that the kingdom of Satan will suffer injury. We thank you, Lord, for these chosen means these means that you have chosen uh, to advance your kingdom and pray your great blessing on it now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a few weeks since we've been here in the book of Colossians and up to this point, so as to remind you, we have been dealing with the message and teaching of false teachers who have been making their impact felt on the church and the Lycus Valley. Their teaching... uh, Their teachings were with persuasive arguments. They would potentially take people captive through philosophy and empty deception, which were according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. They saw themselves, these false teachers, as judges in regard to food and drink and festivals, new moon and Sabbath days. They would determine that people weren't really saved as they weren't as humble as they were. They worshipped angels. They took their stand on visions they had seen. They had the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. But what they promoted, says the apostle, was of no value against fleshly indulgence. My friends, you cannot subdue the flesh, the sinful flesh, by sinful flesh you cannot subdue sinful flesh by sinful flesh you cannot in the natural man the fleshly desires save yourself or make yourself more holy all of your efforts with you as the source of power right remember in the 70s it was willpower if you just had the willpower you could conquer that sin you could conquer that bad habit nope. (laughs) Nope. I saw somebody do this once. It was in a power extension. It was really kind of funny. You know those power strips you get? Six sockets. and They took the end of that plug and they plugged it into the power strip. And I thought to myself isn't that how it goes? I don't have the power to change anything so let's try it one more time. And that's what most religion does. That's what most religion takes us. It says you can, you can conquer this if you just try a little bit harder. Have you ever wondered why you're in the predicament you're in? It wasn't because you were listening to Jesus Christ. If it's a battle with sin, it's because you leaned upon your own understanding in these things. So here... Um, Producing, striving striving rather, to conquer sin with our sinful flesh will only feed your pride. Look at me. Look how disciplined I am. Look how good I am. Look how smart I am. I can do these things of my own strength and my own accord. What is of value? If these things aren't of value in conquering flesh, what is valuable in conquering the flesh It's not what the world tells you. These false religious, false teachers who sound so deep and so spiritual but do not hold fast to Jesus Christ. This letter, the book of Colossians, turns here at Colossians 3. Submitting to the message of the false teachers is of no value to your flesh and no benefit to you spiritually. The do's, the don'ts, the little rules, the little hoops here that we, uh, that are promoted So we can feel better about ourselves, these things bring no blessing. But Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ does. Christ alone is all that you and I need. He alone is sufficient to save us and friends and to sanctify us and to make us holy. Does it matter? Does it matter? Sometimes we seem to think it doesn't matter. Why are we spending so much time on sanctification? All I really need to know is that I'm just saved. And now I'll go about my own life. That's the American church. That's the problem, friends, we're having. And if you want to lay blame at anyone's feet in this country, I think blame has to be laid at the feet of the church for abandoning the gospel and abandoning the truth that God has saved us through Jesus Christ in order that we would walk in holiness You remember the 70s? Those Bible-thumping preachers that we all grew like, oh, they're just so disgusting. They're not nearly enlightened and winsome enough. I think those Bible-thumping preachers had something going on. And we wanted to make the gospel appealing to the world, and so we shut our mouths, and we stopped calling out sin And the church lives like the world and the church has lost its salt. You see, and this is the problem when we don't preach faithfully through the scriptures. Right? We've been preaching through Colossians 1 and 2 and I'm telling you all of what Christ has done and all that he has done for his people. We come to Colossians 3 and dare I say, some of you will say, oh, he's just gone full-on legalist on us. He's calling us to Maybe adjust how we're how we're walking, how we're living, what we're watching, what we're talking about. Paul has been spending the first two chapters on the indicatives, on the facts concerning Jesus Christ. Now, up through chapter four, verse six, he's going to he's going to go heavy now on the commandments that God is giving us. The therefores. Because of Jesus Christ and what he has done, this, therefore, is now how we are supposed to live in light of it. And I would encourage you, please don't turn your ears off when it comes to these things. I'm not a legalist. I'm not here to tell you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and make yourself right with God. You can't do it. But if we believe that Jesus Christ died in our stead and you say he is Lord are you going to follow him now or are you going to do what most Americans do just give me enough of Jesus to keep me out of hell but don't require me to die to myself I'm not requiring you to do anything it's the Lord who said take up your cross and follow him that's what the Lord says Christ is all we need, and these saints are not to be looking inward to themselves as if they possess the power to save themselves. They are to be looking upward to Christ. And he says this in the first four verses, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now again, it may sound as if the apostle is not concerned somehow about holiness after all that he has said about these false teachers. But the apostle is concerned, and more so, the Lord is concerned about holiness. Peter wrote this. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The false teachers were wrong in how they taught that holiness was obtained and uh, and in how they were to grow in it. Our holiness comes, hear me, our holiness comes from union with Jesus Christ. So, uh, hear me, Jesus is not simply a moral example for us. That's where people go wrong. Jesus is a moral example. I'm gonna do what WWJD, what would Jesus do? Remember those bracelets and that trend? Jesus never drove a car, so I don't know what am I supposed to do when I need a car. I'm supposed to follow Jesus. And we stop looking at Jesus, uh, we, we stop short and say he's just just an example. No, you understand, friends. He's more than just an example. He's life. He's the Savior. He's the one who who fulfilled all righteousness in the place of his people. He's the one who died on Calvary's cross in order to redeem us and to bring peace between us and a holy God. And so he's more than just that moral example. He is the source of righteousness. He is the source of life. He is the source of joy. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is the great treasure, the pearl of great price. He is the one we ought to be desiring above all else. The false teachers were wrong. Jesus plus you doing these things. Friends, our holiness comes from our union with Jesus Christ. Again, by grace, through faith in Christ, the believer is justified. He is declared. It's a forensic term, a legal declaration that we are now righteous. God views the Christian as righteous in his sight. Listen to what Paul would say in Colossians 1-2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. You know what the word saint means? It means holy one or one who set apart, one set apart from the world. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ, in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Imagine that, calling those people in Corinth saints. The whole rest of the book deals with their unsaintliness. And then this one, if this doesn't bring outrage, when Peter speaks about rescuing righteous Lot. How in the world could anyone consider Lot, you remember the stories of his uh, immoralities with his own daughters, and they call him righteous Lot? How can that be? He sure didn't live like it, did he? How was he called righteous? Because of Christ. Lot, in spite of his failings, was a believer in God. That's how he could be called righteous. That's how any of us are to be called righteous. Like these and all other believers, we are not yet in practice what we are to be in reality. We are not in practice what we are in reality in Christ. This is an important note. Paul is not doing what he has just exposed the false teachers is doing. Paul has made it very plain that our sins have been dealt with in Jesus Christ. In Colossians one thirteen and 14, he says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In chapter uh, 2, in verse 13, we read, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And then in chapter 3, 1, and 2, again, the way we battle the flesh is by recalling these things seeking the things above setting your mind on the things above not on the things that are on the earth we are remembering whose we are and what he has done for us this now is the motive behind what Paul now writes this is the why behind the what again because of all that Christ has done now he says this is how we're supposed to live brothers and sisters Our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ alone. Now it is time for us to behave like what we are in Christ. You are holy. Now we practice holiness. Now we put aside, put off those things. He's not giving us to ascetic practices to merit blessing, but we are dying to ourselves because we have been blessed in Christ So now we begin a section, the imperatives, the commands, which are based upon the indicatives, the facts of what Christ has done. Paul is exhorting the church to be, again, in practice what they have been made to be in Christ. He starts by telling us to put to death the sinful deeds of your flesh. He starts by telling us to put to death the sinful deeds of your flesh. Welcome to the struggle. This is the struggle, the Christian struggle. Listen to verses 5 through 7 again. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Put to death the sinful deeds of your flesh. Notice that what he now says is based upon what has come before. He uses that word, therefore. And again, he has pointed out that they had been raised up with Christ, that they were to keep seeking the things above, where Christ was seated at the right hand of God, that they were to set their minds on things above, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Notice, he says it's a past tense, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Now it is time to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. As the NIV says, or as the ESV says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. It is time to become what you are, my friends, in the Lord When he writes, consider the members of your earthly body, and I realize that we have very many different uh, translations represented here. I use the New American Standard Version of the Bible. And it writes, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, that is, dead to these vices. What he is saying is, put to death, therefore, the effects produced by and associated so closely with the members of your body, such effects, products, or works as immorality, impurity, etc. Paul would write in Romans 7, verse 23 But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. The Apostle Paul has pointed out that prior to coming to Christ, prior to regeneration, that these saints now once lived in a manner that was in keeping with their unregenerate nature. And he says this in verse 7. This is important. And in them, again, in these vices, he says, you also once walked when you were living in them. In other words, prior to coming to Jesus Christ in your unregenerate state, sin characterized your life. Sin once used to characterize the way we once lived. But it should no longer characterize the child of God in Christ. But now righteousness should characterize our lives. Holiness should characterize the lives of the Lord's people. Paul wrote in Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Notice what Paul commands that being consider the members of your earthly body as dead, or as the NAV says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly body. In theology, what we are finding out, or what we see, is that in reality, every Christian is simultaneously justified and sinful. Every Christian is righteous and sinful at the same time. We have been declared righteous, but we still struggle with sin. This is every Christian's battle, every Christian. Every Christian in this room today struggles with sin. We have to bear with each other because every one of us struggles with sin. And yet, being justified in Jesus Christ, we're not supposed to take our sin lightly. We're supposed to wrestle with it. This is the reality that we face now between the time of our being born again and the time of Christ's return that each of us is battling with sin in our own flesh we are given this hope in, in 1 John the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining But the Christian has been delivered from sin and death to return to it no more so the apostle commands them to put their sinful flesh to death what does it mean? what does it mean to put something to death? It means to deprive it of its power, to destroy the strength of something, to make conditions so that it cannot thrive, indeed, that it cannot live. Put it to death. It requires a voluntary, strenuous effort and exertion. But I'll go into that more in just a moment. There are some who will say that, well, what you do with sin is you just let go and let God. That's not at all what the scripture teaches, and I, that's a terrible thing. Even our standards point out that we're not supposed to wait for a special movement of the Spirit of God. I was thinking about this and how ridiculous sometimes this sounds to me, but you'll hear people say, well, I was waiting for the Spirit to, to convict me that watching that filthy movie on television was a filthy movie, but you know he never convicted me of it. In fact, he didn't even make my hand move towards the clicker. I was waiting for the. I mean, this is how ridiculous it sounds in in people's. I'm waiting for the Spirit to convict me, so that He moves me to do something. No, no, no. It's not this way. The Lord reveals in His Word what we what He wants us to do, what He wants us to think about certain things, and then the Christian, the person who calls Jesus Christ Lord, has to say this: "Husbands, and it's especially upon you to direct your homes." say, no, we're not doing this. Why not? Because the Lord said, we're not doing this. And wives, if your husbands are are not doing what they should be doing, you should be coming alongside them saying, sweetheart, you think this is a good idea? You know what the scripture says? And He goes, you're right. And then you should listen to good counsel, the good counsel of your wife. But we don't wait for the Lord to to have a special motion or movement upon us before we wait. And so this idea of let go, let God, is a terrible thing. I don't know if that's originally where it was founded. I realize there are things we can do nothing about and we of course we have to trust them. we have to trust the Lord in everything. But when it comes to sin, don't sit there and take this passive approach to it. Certainly, the apostle Paul for him to say therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, giving it a command is not a passive thing. You're not supposed to be passive about sin in your life. You're not supposed to sit by and say it's okay. Just a little sin. No, no, no. We don't say that. What are the fruits or effects of the flesh that they are supposed to put to death? Again, he says, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. He starts with the visible, and he moves to the heart of the matter. Um, Lists are always difficult to preach through because... By the time you hit the second thing, you're like, I'm tired. Listen to this list again. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. He is commanding them, put these things to death. Put them to death. You once lived in these things. You once participated in these things. You once embraced these things. You used to think these things were good and pleasant. Not anymore. He says, immorality. By immorality, it means just what you think. Sexual immorality, fornication. One commentator says this, it means primarily traffic with harlots. It is found also as a near technical term for sexual relations within prohibited degrees and more widely of sexual irregularity in general. It is primary sense, it was so common in Greco-Roman antiquity that except when carried to excess, it was not regarded as reprehensible. Sexual immorality was common in that day and it is common now. I look at the gray hair out here. I pity you living through the 60s and the the sexual revolution, free love. And and what has it become? It's become the hookup culture now. Friends with benefits, we hear. Our culture loves sex. Our culture, the world, have perverted sex. I didn't watch the Grammys. I hope none of you did. I don't care if you did, only that I'm sure your senses were offended. All over was the uh, satanic dance uh, thing done by British singer Sam Smith and Kim Petrus, who was not actually a Kim, but a him, and they celebrate this. You know, I, under, I understand being a little bit snarky about the church. I, I understand that, and I get why people get a little snarky about the church. I want to remind you of something. Jesus Christ died for the church. He loves his church. And even the pagans were saying, what in the world is going on at the Grammys? That they would sit there and dress up like devils and have strippers dancing around them. What is going on that we should embrace something like this? And yet this is the immorality, this is the fornication, this is the the sin that that is all around us, and our culture has perverted what is, by God's design, a good thing. It is widely accepted, this immorality in our culture. It is not to be widely accepted by you, friends. No Christian should be involved in immorality. And if you are, you need to put it to death. That's what the Lord says. He says in, in, in uh, Ephesians 5, But immorality or any uh, impurity or greed must not be named among you as is proper among saints. My friends, sex is between a man and a woman in the confines of the covenant of marriage. Period. Period. Period period. There's no other exception to that. That's God's design. Our confessional standards say this accurately. Marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife, for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue, and of the church with a holy seed, and for preventing of uncleanness. That means some of you don't have the gift of being celibate. And so God has made you so that you would get married and not be celibate. Uh, is this making sense? We've lost our way. We're crazy. We're supposed to get married if you don't have the gift of celibacy. You're supposed to get married and you're supposed to, it's supposed to be good for men and women. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, 1-4, through 4, I think it is, he gives the exact same commands to men and women that they have an obligation to to be together in intimacy. And the only time you stop that is for the purpose of prayer. Otherwise, you're together. You help each other in marriage, you have babies, and you raise up godly little boys and girls to further the kingdom of God into the generations to come. That's the role of marriage. God created it, he said it's good. And that's what we need to be continuing to promote Not just by yelling at the world, but by practicing it here in the church. If you're married, make time for one another. Go into the privacy of your bedroom, lock your doors, and make it a sweet and beautiful time. That's the Lord's design for it. If you are not married, you are not to be having sex, but are to keep the marriage bed undefiled. God will judge fornicators and adulterers says the Apostle Paul. If you are not married, you are not to be having sex. The hookup culture that whole friends with benefits things, it's wretched. It's wretched. Do You know that the latest statistic says that most children now are born out of wedlock than in marriage. That's shameful. If you are not married, but you burn with desire, get married, but only in the Lord. Those are your options. Get married, stay single and be pure, or get married. Now, you probably have never heard me say this before. You need to be praying for the single people in this congregation who want a spouse. And if you want a spouse, don't go to the bar and look for one. Okay? In God's providence, there are such things as, as web, websites where you can find a spouse. Our brother Will and Mariana, the Lord used that in his providence to bring them together. I'm not saying it's the ideal thing, friends. I'm not. But you live in Wyoming, I don't know. I, I feel for you. I went to a Christian college and found a beautiful wife. But if you're single, we have to come alongside people. And if you are single and you want to be married, stop being so blasted picky. Find a good Christian woman. Trust me. You get older and you, get, you lose your plump and stuff. How do you say this? Charm is deceitful, beauty is vanity, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. You find a good Christian woman, you find a good Christian man, you embrace that person and you go through life together. That's God's design. It is. Everything else is paint. Put to death immorality. I'm going to move on quickly. Put to death impurity, he says. Uncleanness. It's in a moral sense, um, the impurity of lustful, luxurious, profligate living, that is licentious living, shamelessly, uh, shameless immorality. He says, put it to death. Again, this commentator says, it has a wider range of meaning than fornication and includes the misuse of sex, but is applicable to various forms of moral evil, such as pretending to be someone's friend so that you may injure them. It has to do with evil thoughts or evil intentions of the heart. Where does immorality begin? In the flesh, it begins in the heart. It begins in the mind. What kinds of things are you thinking upon? Put to death impurity. He says, put to death passion. In this context, it would be evil or depraved passion, dishonorable passion. We are told in Romans 1.26-27a For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. These are degrading passions. Not all Passion or desire is wrong, but degrading passions, dishonorable passions, wanting to do things with your body that the rest of the world is doing, and saying, yeah, I kind of want to do that too. We're finding this influx. Come into the Lord's church where we're embracing homosexuality. And someone says, well, you can't help the way you were born. Yeah, you know what? I like to eat. I do. I love food. And you know what I have to do? I have to say no to my flesh. Some of you are like this with alcohol. You say, I like my beer. And you have to control this and say, I will not be controlled by this. I will not be controlled by my appetites. I will have to tell myself no. And some of you have a natural desires and you know what you have to do. And this, by the way, is pleasing to the Lord when you say no to those ungodly desires. So while the world is saying, chase after your dreams, chase after your heart, do what feels right to you, the Lord is saying, don't you dare do that. I gave my son to set you free from those sins. Don't you dare think that that's acceptable. That's not acceptable, Christian. That's not acceptable. Put it to death put those desires to death. Put to death evil desire. Again, somewhat difficult to distinguish from passion. One commentator described it as the inordinate craving for sexual satisfaction or for other things such as idol worship, material possessions, or renown. It's satisfying the senses. It's, it's drinking up to fill your sensuality. And then finally, he says, put to death greed, which amounts to idolatry. The desire to have more, covetousness, being, not being satisfied with what you have, living for this world, living to please yourself, to satisfy your cravings. It becomes idolatry or idol worship because you and the things of this world take the place of the Lord in your affections. Put it to death, says Paul. He says in Philippians 3, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Put this greed to death. So again, listen to what he says. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. How do you do it? These are the things you say to me. These are the things that I'm accustomed to. These are the things I'm used to. This is the way I think or behave, and I've done this for so long. And in this manner, I'm I'm really hopelessly... You're never hopeless, Christian. You have no reason to be hopeless. But you may feel as though you are hopelessly an American Christian, and you have become accustomed to saying... That being a Christian and indulging my flesh can coexist. And they can't. Jesus calls you to take up your cross. How do I put these things to death? You cut them off at the root. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and 7, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Have you looked to Jesus Christ? You look to him, you believe upon him, and you know what he does? He breaks the power of sin of its dominion over us. Where does turning from sin, where does dying to immorality start? It starts at the cross, where the justice and mercy of God were meted out in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It starts with you saying, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was a fourth grader, and I cheated my way through mathematics. I did, and I said, and we moved right between fourth and fifth grade, and I said, no more cheating. I'm not going to do it. And in fifth grade, I didn't cheat. And in sixth grade, I mostly didn't cheat. And in seventh grade, I cheated a little bit more. Willpower. Just decide. I'm going to change my circumstances, change my friends. Not always a bad idea. I'm going to change these things, and I'm going to be delivered. It wasn't until I realized, you're such a screw-up, you can't deliver yourself at all you got to come to the end of yourself. You've got to quit thinking you're the cat's meow, if I can use that phrase. you got to quit thinking that you've arrived and that you and Jesus are going to get this thing done. You can't do jack squat. You can't. And some of you sit in your pride thinking, no, I've got this Christianity thing. I'm going to nail it this year. No, you're not. You've already blown your resolutions from December 31st. And you're going to tell me that you're going to make yourself right. You can't do it. You must come to Jesus Christ. You must come to Jesus Christ now. And that's where your sin is going to die. But you can ignore me. And you come back and see me in five years and tell me how it's going. It won't be going any better. I guarantee you. Christ is where sin dies. It's that Christ. Secondly, when I want to kill something... When I want to put it to death, I give it impossible conditions in which to thrive. I starve it. I feed and nurture things I love, but I starve the things that I despise. That's the way we need to be thinking about sin. As I pointed out earlier, to put something to death requires strenuous effort and exertion. Friends, it takes no, no effort at all to follow your heart or to do what feels right it takes no effort at all. But dying to your natural inclinations, you should expect that it will be a difficult thing. Dying to sin is hard. It is a hard thing. Listen to Proverbs 7, 6 and 8. For at the widow window rather of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense and passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house. Sounds like he's trying to make a connection with somebody. He found her corner, and so he walks by her corner. Again, I was waiting for the Holy Spirit, but I just found that my feet moved towards her corner. That's the way some of you think. Don't go by her corner. If she's a struggle to you, don't go near her house. If alcohol is a problem to you, don't go to the bar. What are you thinking? If pornography is a problem, why do you keep a stash of it? Why do you keep it on your computer? Get rid of it. Don't nurture it. Don't feed it. Put it to death. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Putting these things to death begins at the cross of Christ, where he died died because of your sin and fulfilled the righteous demands of God. That's where it begins. And then, secondly, friends, we don't allow ourselves to nurture ungodly immoral thoughts any longer and I wish we had a whole lot of time because I think there's a whole lot of psychology Christian biblical thoughtfulness that could go into this very point of how sin begins in our brains and how it comes out of our lives out of our heart and and we fall into these things the flesh says things like this and it usually starts with just a thought creeping into our brain. I don't like what I have. She's starting to look old. Or look at his gut. He used to fix up, you know, when we would go out on dates. I'm just missing out on what other people have, and I think I need a new a new house, a new automobile, a new spouse. I need something because... I'm not really being satisfied now. My flesh is is wanting. I want this, I want her, I don't feel happy, I want to feel happy. And it starts with just a phrase, a thought that goes into our mind and it blossoms into something else. And before long that thought has formed a change a chain rather, and you're no longer content. And being self-centered and self-focused, you deserve better, poor you. These are the things that Satan whispers, everyone has it better than you, and what do you do? You indulge your flesh. That's what the flesh does. Rather, when those thoughts pop up in your mind, you stop them. You don't nurture them, you rather counter them with the truth of the scriptures Give thanks to the Lord for what you have. Have you ever done that? You find yourself going down a pity party? Poor me, poor me. Do you ever stop and say, Stop it to yourself and say, No, I'm going to be grateful for what I have. I'm going to be grateful for what He's given me. I'm going to thank the Lord for what He's done in my life. I'm not going to allow myself to start feeling sorry for myself. You praise the Lord. You count your blessings. You nurture your marriage. You nurture the good things. And you stop focusing on all the bad things you can't change. This is how we start to put these things to death. You see, because if I'm discontent and I'm not content with, say, my spouse, I start looking for someone else. And I go and I go find that someone else rather than nurturing the one the Lord has given me. It becomes a very tricky thing. And this is the way we used to live before coming to Christ. This is what we used to do. I didn't like this friend. I changed it, drop him, find someone else. I don't go near her corner. I make no provision for my flesh. I flee like Joseph from immorality. I'm almost done. Why? Why put them to death? Verse 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. My friends, God is going to pour out his wrath on this world because of these things. Sodom and Gomorrah is given as an example. Peter says that we ought to remember Sodom and Gomorrah so that we would take heed. Judgment is coming upon this nation. I guarantee it. It's coming. We don't need to be afraid because the Lord is going to be with his people. But you might want to start learning Chinese. I believe that the apostle puts this here to give the Christians a greater sense of urgency, to drive home the importance of his point that the Christian is commanded to put to death the deeds of the sinful flesh. I'm going to close by reading here Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, and there must be no filthiness in silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with, these, with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." We need to take these things seriously. Holiness is important. It's important because we claim we are in Christ. If in Christ, we have the ability to deny our flesh, to turn, to fight, to struggle, and to grow. And it's slow sometimes. Don't get discouraged. But stay in the struggle. The church is a witness of Jesus Christ. If we look just like the world what are we saying to them? Hey, come. Come know Jesus Christ. You don't have to change at all. You don't have to repent of anything. Paul says, judgment's coming because of these things. You need to take what I'm saying seriously. If not, you will be the one at the end of judgment. So, my friends, as we continue through this passage, notice what he says to us. It's time to become what we are in Jesus Christ. May the Lord give grace to us as we endeavor to follow him in the ways he's commanded. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and I pray that your blessing be upon it Um, as we think on these things. I pray that you would forgive us uh, when we have been um, disobedient To what you have said, when we have downplayed or discarded the seriousness, the weightiness of your commands, you will be treated as holy by those who draw near to you, you said. I pray that we would treat you as holy, and that we will treat these words with the appropriate weightiness with which we ought to do. Bless these, your people, now, and bless this word, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.